0: So, question. How many of you guys have a favorite movie? How many of you could watch the same movie over and over and over and over again? Totally knowing how it ends. Die Hard. Uh, Yes, Yes. Yeah. TV show. Anything with a story. Yeah, we all have that. Uh, You know how it's going to end. You know all of the scenes. You can probably quote every line in the movie by heart. But you still watch it. Why? It's entertaining. Huh? It's awesome. It's a good show. But you already know how it's going to end. Like, why would why would you watch it if you already know how it's going to gonna end? To test yourself. To test yourself. To test yourself for what? Oh. The same reason we live life to see how boring my day usually is. I mean, we done, elaborate. We're gonna die and then we're gonna live. That is so, one day. We good. We live life anyway. Oh, 10 years okay. 10 years, well, fair enough. Well, so even in the most in the middle of the most intense scenes in the movie you still find yourself getting nervous and still rooting for your favorite character to come out all right in the middle of the movie, even though you know that they 're going to be fine like somehow you think it's going maybe it 's going to end differently the fiftieth time that you watch it so so we all do this, we all have our favorite movie we all have our favorite books or TV shows or whatever that we watch over and over and over again, and this is why Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts not you why'd you, do why'd you do it Luke no so think about Christianity for a minute we all know how the story ends right does Jesus win or Satan wins Jesus, Jesus wins right and so why would he feel the need to write out this big long narrative uh, to give like this scene by scene and play by play of everything why would he do that well he gives the reason why he did that at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, he says that you may know the certainty of those things in which he was instructed. So that's what he said. So Luke at the beginning of his gospel addressed a Roman dignitary whose name was what was his name? What? No. Um, no, what was his name? Who is Luke writing to? Start with th- yeah. Weird that I mean? name that I it's not that know. weird or complicated. You know, you know, you know both syllables You don't even know just what just both know. of the syllables mean in Greek. Theophilus, oh. Oh, yeah. Theophilus. So, with your superb Greek knowledge, um, what do you theophilus, think Theophilus means? God, theo- God, brother, list, uh, brother? Like, no. No. no, it's not no, that. Affliction. No, uh, Theophilus, Phyllis. blind man. Phyllis, Phyllis. Phileo. No, that's, uh, wait. Oh. Maybe I don't know that word. Yeah, probably not. Phileo. It's on the tip of my tongue. Actually, it's not. No, no, no. It means, it's, uh, it's a another word for love. Oh, Agape is a word for love. Oh, yeah, that's a brotherly I Phile- love. Yeah, that's I right. Heard about it so Theophilus, what do you think philo- ph- ph- Philophilus? Theophilus means? Uh, God. God of brotherly love. Hmm? love. God's love. Love? sort of it really kind of means friend of God friendly love brotherly love of God so it really means friend of God friend of God and so and uh, Greek, uh, Luke also wrote a Greek word that means instructed and it's the word uh, katekeo Katakeo. 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 Can y'all guess what that means? To be instructed. Katakeo. Well, yes, but what, what word do we get from katakeo? Catechize. Uh, oh. If you've been catechized, so, you have yeah. been what? You've been instructed in doctrine. Yes. And so that's what Luke was trying to do. He wanted to inform Theophilus of the story of Jesus Christ. And so, if Theophilus up to this point had been catechized and brought into the Christian community and he understood the basic message of the gospel. But Luke's purpose was that he be fully instructed in the Lord by knowing in detail a narrative of those things which had been fulfilled among us. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke put together this orderly account of Jesus' life and the life of the apostles from eyewitnesses. He went around and interrogated eyewitnesses to these things. Now, a question arises, did Luke really write these books? Is there a specific verse in Luke or Acts that tells us that Luke wrote the books? No, there isn't. So how do we know that Luke wrote it? Well... Luke, even from tradition, he's been considered to be the author for a very long time. And it's a solid view, uh, because early witnesses to Luke's writing the book includes Irenaeus, he said that Luke wrote the book, and Tertullian, these are early church fathers, they both give testimony to Luke writing the books. And even today, no conservative scholar doubts that he wrote these things. And so the strongest basis, though, for accepting Luke as the author of uh, both Luke and Acts is in those books themselves. So in Acts especially, we can see that in the we passages, the second, uh, the first-person plural passages in Acts 16, Acts 20, and Acts 27. So for example, in Acts 16, verses 11 and 12, it says, So setting sail from Troas, we, first-person plural, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace." And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And here it is again. We remained in this city some days. And from these texts, we see that Luke traveled with the apostle Paul. Uh, He was with Paul while Paul was writing Colossians. Uh, Paul mentions Luke by name, right? And what trade was Luke involved in? What did Luke do for a living? Doctor. Huh? Was he like a um, physician? Or something? Yeah, he was. He was a doctor. He was a physician, and at the end of Paul's life, Luke was faithful to Paul, even though everybody else had left him. And so, Luke diligently researched the things that he did not personally see himself. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, in breathing out holy Scripture, uses the experience of the human author, uh, whether it's a weeping prophet who's writing the book, like Jeremiah, or a careful scholar like Luke. And so Luke reports all of the things that he wrote as history. Uh, it's not a story. It's not something that's made up. It's not fictional. He reports this as actual history, uh, even though it's not a, a comprehensive history of the church. And, and still, it's a kind of literature which shows really close attention to detail It shows attention to sequential actions. Uh, it It demonstrates names of specific people. It tells of specific places and events that are relevant to the message of the book. And together, both Luke and Acts provide for knowing the certainty of the faith by explaining from the beginning the birth, the temptation, the baptism, the early ministry, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension, of Jesus Christ. And the continuation of this in Acts further explains how this risen and ascended Christ continued to act in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it shows how the church spread the gospel from Jerusalem throughout the then-known world of the Roman Empire. And so there are good reasons to believe that Luke must have finished writing Acts around A.D. 62. Uh, first, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, which would have been a huge event in relation to Luke and Acts, is mentioned not as something that actually happened, but it was mentioned as a prophecy. Now, if something is mentioned as a prophecy in a book, when do you think that thing is, is was happening? Did it already happen, or was it going to happen in the future? Cool is going to happen in the future. So just based on that that Luke mentions the destruction of Jerusalem only as a prophecy tells us that at least Luke and Acts would have been written before AD 70 because the destruction of Jerusalem wouldn't have wouldn't have happened yet. And so with all of these strong themes of Jewish persecution of Christians and especially of Paul Uh, It is unthinkable to think that Luke completed Luke and Acts after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, but he didn't mention it. That would make no sense. Um, Thinking along these lines has led many scholars to believe that all of the New Testament books were complete before AD 70, since there is no no reference to the destruction of the temple in the past tense, right? To mention... Something like uh, all of your themes of your book mention the destruction of Jerusalem and have that theme. uh, Writing about those themes but not writing about the actual event uh, is like how your book says. It's like uh, writing about Islamic terrorism in America and not mentioning 9-11. It makes zero sense, right? So we have to come to the conclusion that Luke along with all of the other New Testament books were written before A.D. 70. A second defense of this is the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome under house arrest. And tradition says that Paul was martyred under the Emperor Nero in A.D. 65. And it would be hard to imagine why Luke wouldn't have written about Paul's death as a martyr if that took place before the completion of the book of Acts. So we can say that Luke was Luke and Acts were written even before A.D. 65. And uh, in addition to that, the date of Luke is important for an early dating of other books in the New Testament. And many scholars believe that Luke and uh, used the Gospel of Mark as a source for his uh, writing of the Gospel. And this puts the writing of Mark before A.D. 62. And so most of the other New Testament texts, like the, the Pauline epistles, they fit within the travels of Paul as Luke narrated it. So that's how they've zeroed in on this date of AD 62 of when Acts was finished. And so Luke gives us stories, right? We read stories, we watch stories, we love stories. And Paul, and uh, not Paul, Luke gives us stories in both the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. You know, think about it. What would life be without stories? It'd be pretty boring, right? And, and we need, with our favorite stories, we want to hear every part of the story, uh, even though we've heard them before. We love every part of the story, even though we know how it's going to end. Uh, the tension and resolution of stories is built into all of life as we know it. And while this can be seen all through life, it can be most easily seen, this love of story, when you read uh, a favorite story to a young child, how many of you ever read a, like a little children's story to a child? Maybe brother or sister, cousin, someone who's little, right? We as older, you as older kids, myself as an adult, we often read a book and then we, when we're done with it, it goes back on the bookshelf and I don't read it again or even look at it for a very long time. It's done. That's not the same thing for a two-year-old, though, right? Just as you finish The uh, the Hungry Caterpillar or The Cat in the Hat, uh, what does the two-year-old often say? Again, 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 Read it again. That's right. Read it again. You want to read something new, but the child wants to hear that same old story over and over again. And hopefully by now you're... You know, in addition to your reading here at school, you're not reading The Cat in the Hat anymore, right? Hopefully, y'all have moved on in that. Yeah, no, it's no, a good story. How long has it been since you've read The Cat in the Hat, you think? Like a couple years. A couple like, of years. Yeah, For yourself, not reading it to someone else. Oh, then about about forever, one hour. forever ago. Forever ago. <laughs> That's right. So, needless to say, Green Eggs and Ham are not on your reading list anymore, right? I like Green Eggs and Ham just as much as the next guy, but I am not has not been I have not opened this up for myself in a very very long time, right? But I have opened it up recently because I have kids who want to read and learn about Green Eggs and Ham, and when you have kids one day, Green Eggs and Ham will be at the top of your reading list again. Yeah. Uh, you know. Oh, okay, but. Y'all I heard earlier all have movies or TV shows that y'all want to see over and over again and you never get tired of seeing it. I mean think about it. If what you like to watch is a comedy, maybe uh you laugh louder as you begin to understand the more you watch it, the humor in a deeper way. Maybe there's some things in the movie that you didn't catch that you finally caught and you're like, Oh, I get that and you wouldn't never caught it if you'd have just watched the movie one time. Mm-hmm. And You know, if the story is really good, and if you have a bunch of friends that also like this movie, y'all might even quote the movie to each other, right? In various lines and sequences, right? Uh, You might even repeat certain lines in the story when your circumstances are like the ones in the movie, right? We all love stories, right? And uh, the Bible is a lot like that too. You know, the Bible is not a dry textbook. It's not like your your physical science book. It's just, here's the information. It's not like your math book. Here are the equations. No. Uh, The Bible is a book of story, and it tells a story. And it tells a wonderful story uh, that's greater than anything that has ever been heard. And as Christians, we know the basic events of the gospel, right? You've been a Christian long enough. You've been influenced by Christianity long enough. To know how things end. You know the basic gist of the gospel. Jesus died for us. We, if you put your faith in him, you will have eternal life. The end. But there's so much more to it, right? The, the story begins a lot earlier than this. And, and look, we're not going to understand Jesus dying on the cross outside of understanding the earliest parts of the story. And so what's the first part of the story of redemption? Well, the first part is God creating a wonderful, perfect world for mankind to live in. And he placed our first father, Adam, in that world. And he gave Adam everything he needed. He gave him a good job. He gave him a perfect working environment. He gave him good food. Gave him a perfect wife. All of these wonderful things. And even more than that, God himself was a friend to Adam walking with Adam face-to-face in the cool of the day. And so God talked with Adam, and God taught Adam. But Adam, what did he do? He led our race in a rebellion against God as he listened to the counsel of the serpent. Who is who? Who's the serpent? Satan, the devil, who's God's enemy. Uh, See, we have the antagonist here. God is the protagonist. There's our storylines. Uh, Satan is the antagonist, and the result of this rebellion was what? Exile, judgment, and ultimately death, right? And so the, the story goes on under this pretext with Noah, Abraham, David, and the prophets. And the gates of Eden, however, we get a preview of the end of the story as we look at Eden. See, God could have abandoned the entire human race, and just left us all to serve Satan and to ultimately die, right? That's what Satan wanted. But God didn't allow us to go in that direction because he loves us too much to let us go. But instead, he promised to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. So God punished the human race with death, but he reveals that he intends to raise them to new life through the resurrection, That was the promise that was made in Genesis 3, way back in the beginning of the story. And because of the story thus far, because we understand all of those elements of the story, we we see the tension. Uh, The tension has been made. What is God going to do to save humanity? The cross makes more sense because of that. A cross wouldn't make too much sense if we didn't know the whole backstory, right? Like, why is this random guy dying on a cross? And what does this have to do with me? Well, the story explains that. And this good news, this story of God's love, defines and creates reality for us. And it is at the foundation of our lives. So we live this story each and every day. We're all in the story. The same one that we read about in the Bible, we are living in that story right now. And in order to remember that we're living in this story, we need to reread all of the beginnings of the story. We need to rehearse the fall. We need to reread about the patient hope of those in exile. And then when we understand that, we'll understand what Luke means in Luke 2.11. When uh, with great joy it said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So God has caused all of reality to teach us this story. Everywhere we look, uh, we can see the fall and the gospel being played out before our eyes. And think about the seasons continually. Every, every year, year after year, they proclaim death and resurrection, right? How do you think the seasons proclaim death and resurrection? Spring, summer, fall, winter. How does that work? Winter, it's torture. Uh, well, what does that represent? Death. That's death. Yeah. And then what happens in the spring? New life emerges, right. And in the summer, what is that? The full blossoming of the glory of God in the summer. Well, in Louisiana, it's the heat. I know that the seasons aren't as radically displayed here in the south. But if you live up north where there's a lot of snow and it's very cold, you you can see the contrasts of that, right? Everything looks dead. There's just white nothingness out there. All the trees are without their leaves, right? There, there doesn't seem to be any life out there. You notice like, like last night, I went out to, uh, to take off the garbage, and last night it wasn't very chilly, so you hear crickets, you hear life all around you. But what happens when it's like 35 degrees? And at night, you go we take out the trash. Well. You it's don't, so hear, cold you cold don't cold. hear anything. You hear, well, you don't hear anything living, right? That, just, that gives you the illusion of death. Like, is there anything alive out there in this coldness? See, that's a picture of death and resurrection. And when spring finally comes up, we see we start hearing the birds. Where have the birds been all winter? You would yeah. swear they would have been dead, right? No, but they were huddled, you know, in their little little nest in the tree. They were, you know, dug away in their bur- burrows. The animals and these sorts of things. And so, uh, in the springtime, resurrection. So the seasons are meant to show us this story: fall, uh, the fall and redemption. Um, every meal that we have sets forth the truth that our lives are sustained by the death of others before us. You ever thought about that? Every time you eat, something has to die for you to live. Y'all ever thought about that before? Yep. Every hamburger, maybe not for McDonald's because it's a chemical experiment, but every hamburger that has real Angus beef, an animal had to die to provide that hamburger for you. And the same with vegetables, right? A plant had to die and be uprooted from the ground and harvested for you to eat. That's another reminder that every meal sets forth the truth that our lives are sustained by the death of others before us. And ultimately, who is our life sustained by? Christ. That's right. So this story explains all of reality. So like little children, we need to learn to crave God's story and enjoy seeing it play out before our eyes. And so we know who's at the center of the story. It's Jesus. We know of his birth. We know of his ministry. Uh, we know of his death and his resurrection. And no doubt, especially uh, you know, uh, in the beginning of Theophilus' Christian life, he knew this too. Uh, at least he knew the facts of it. But as Luke provides a full narrative for Theophilus to read, a full replay of Christ. You know, Luke put the DVD in for, I don't know, I'm using very old terminology. He put the DVD in for Theophilus to watch. Here's the movie. You've heard about these facts, but here's play-by-play action, right? And because of that play-by-play action, we can gain even more certainty and confidence uh, in the gospel and in our Lord. That's why uh, we have these accounts in our Bibles. That's why God chose to give them to us. So that we can, like Theophilus, gain more certainty and confidence and and ultimately have more faith in God. And so in this narrative of Luke and Acts, we read directly of this humble king and savior conceived by the spirit of God in the womb of a virgin. And as we take these two books together, we can see a wonderful contribution to the canon of the New Testament. And so beginning in the Gospel of Luke, we we read of a familiar and unique narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ. And Acts, later on, it ends with the Gospel having been proclaimed to the entire known world back then with Paul in the Roman Empire. Think about that. At the beginning of Luke's narrative, no one knew about Jesus. No one understood completely what was going to happen. And uh, Jesus had very humble beginnings. I mean, where was he born? He was born in a manger. What is a manger? Feeding it's a horse trough in a barn in some random town of Bethlehem. Like, he was a nobody. How could this nobody change the entire world? And Luke gives you the story of how that happened, how God did that. So it's really, really cool to read. If you could read Luke and Acts with those lenses, um, you'll be a lot better off. Okay, And... Um, <clears throat> With all, while all of the truth of the work of God saving His people in history, the Gospel of Luke explains the central story of the incarnation of God's Son and His death and resurrection. And the book of Acts addresses the ongoing work of Christ through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the book of Acts also gives us the narrative of the ministries of Peter and Paul. And Acts proclaims the spread of the Gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, all the way to the end of the earth. And all of it began by the Spirit's empowering of the apostles at Pentecost. So, what is history? How do we bring together all of these things that have happened? And where is it going to end? Well, according to Scripture, what is history? History is the unfolding of God's work in the world. Okay, that's what history is. It's the unfolding of God's work in the world, and, and Luke makes it super clear that the flow of time revolves not around man; it revolves around God's covenantal promises of redemption to the world. And beginning in Genesis three fifteen, immediately after the fall, what does God do? He makes a promise. God makes a promise, and, and the promise of Genesis three fifteen is also a prediction. It predicts a kingdom reign of a Messiah who will crush the head of the serpent. And throughout all of history, this reality has been unfolding. It's unfolding even now. And the revelation of the Abrahamic covenant later on in Genesis shows us God's work to redeem, uh, to redeem it by sending a promised seed Now, it was Isaac, sure, it was Jacob, it moved on through the line, but who was the ultimate promised seed? Who was God talking to Abraham about? Jesus. Jesus, that's right, the Christ. And through Christ, Abraham would be the father of many nations. Abraham is our father because of Jesus Christ. You see, it's Jesus that is at the center of reality. Even think about our dating system, 2022. What is it? What is, what happened around two thousand twenty-two years ago? Um, was Jesus was born. Yeah, Jesus was born. That's right. And B.C. What does that mean? Before. Yes, our entire history, our, the way the entire way we date things, is surrounded by, or is actually is, revolves around the resurrection, the the life of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is at the center of reality. Yes, ma'am. Ano no it doesn't mean after death. Ano Domini. Ano Domini. What is Ano Domini? do. Lord? Domini. I mean Ano. What does Ano mean? Day. If you have an annual party, what does that mean? No. Year. of our Lord. Year of our Lord. Ano Domini. domini. Yep. Yeah. So we can see that it's Jesus that's at the center of a reality and it's his story that makes sense of all of reality and it's being revealed before our very eyes day after day even now and so what has happened in the past centers on the coming of Jesus in the fullness of time to be born of Mary in Bethlehem to live to die and to rise again and to ascend into heaven to rule in the re- and to reign at the right hand of the father and from that time forward, that means from that time forward till now, we're still in that time, Jesus will empower his people to be witnesses to him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to Lafayette, to Opelousas, to Duson, to Youngsville, to all of these places. The story is continuing, okay? That's very important, and you are a part of this story. All right, finally, Luke's worldview. In Luke's worldview, God redeems the lowly and humble in heart. He doesn't redeem the proud and uh, the, those who are lofty, those who are well-known. And, and Luke is the writer who writes down for us the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, was the, was the Good Samaritan a somebody or a nobody? He was a nobody in the eyes of the world. And Luke made a point to write his story down. And his concern is very clear for the poor and the outcasts, the sinners, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, and for women. Luke pays probably the most attention to uh, the women in the narrative and life of Jesus than all of the other writers. And he makes it very clear that restoration and salvation come to the humble. It doesn't come to the proud. And and knowing us and our needs, God treats us like the little children that we are or what we want to become. You know, remember Jesus said, you know, to be in my kingdom, you must become like a little child, right? So that means only the humble, though only the lowly, can enter into his kingdom. And that's one theme that Luke wanted to emphasize over and over again in his story. And he gives us all of these things and then he tells it to us over and over again. That's what God does, like little children. Like, our, like my kids want to hear Cat in the Hat over and over again. Uh, hopefully, as the Lord gives us the hearts of little children, we will want to continue to read and to hear God's story over and over again. And, and I'm glad it's not like th- little three-minute Dr. Seuss books, right? So God's story has a richness and it has a complexity that will hopefully always overwhelm us and excite us. And our lives are not a learning and quick fascination of the story, and then we move on to something else. No, that should never be it. As believers, we don't learn the gospel and then move on to deeper truths. No, there is no deeper truth than the gospel. And so our lives consist each and every day of going deeply into the gospel. Why do you think God gave us four different accounts of the gospel in the Bible? For these reasons. So different facets of the story, like you can turn a diamond around in the light and see different facets and different elements of the beauty of the diamond. It's the same thing with God's Word. God has given us four different narratives in which we can uh, look from a different angle at the story of redemption, and we can admire its beauty from a different angle. There will always be different features to admire and to enjoy. And uh, if we're humble and we're lowly as we read it, as, as we depend on the Holy Spirit to illuminate our understanding, uh, every day when we read this and we live this out, uh, I pray that it will make us take up our own cross and follow after Jesus. And I hope every time we come to the Lord's table, uh, as he offers himself to us as our great paradigm of sacrifice, we will continue to yield and to submit our lives to him. And as we watch winter, although we didn't have much of a winter, this go round, give way to spring, we witness death and resurrection. And then in summer, we see God's blessings as death leads to resurrection. And as resurrection bursts forth into life and life leads to harvest, right? That's the fall. We get to celebrate all that God has done throughout the whole year and harvest. And then, of course, things die and the, the whole retelling of the story starts over again. Right, So Jesus Christ sits as king over this story, and he is the central theme and point of it. And Luke and Acts provide us with a beautiful picture of the work of Jesus Christ's life and his death and his continuing work as the Spirit guides his church and leads them more deeply into the story. And the story is still unfolding. We're a part of it. We're players in it. So let's play our parts well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this story. Thank you for uh, telling it to us over and over again. And Father, I pray that you would cause our hearts to become like little children, to want to hear this beautiful story told over and over again. And as we continue to read through Luke and the book of Acts, Lord, uh, excite our wonder uh, and our amazement at how your providence works its way through the world. And Father, thank you for letting us be a part of the story to be a witness for our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.